This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing at a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive! He crushed it! It's a grand slam! have won the world championship welcome to benny and the bets podcast can you believe it here's your host terry cushman good evening everyone and welcome to another episode of the benny and the bets podcast covering boston red sox baseball for everyone staying up late tonight on periscope the podcast as always can be found on google Podcasts, spotify stitcher spreaker soundcloud and of course apple podcasts The uh, link to our Apple podcast feed is right up above your video window. So go ahead, click that, subscribe. All of our shows can be found there. Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Tampa Bay Rays, getting swept, losing all three games. They are currently 12 back of the AL East leading New York Yankees and have slipped to three and a half back out of the second wild card spot. I am Terry Cushman and I'm joined as always by Jeremy Schilling and Matt Clark. I'll answer for you guys. I know you're doing shitty and so am I. How could you not be? I mean, the, the, the three back at this point um, with multiple teams ahead of you is tough road to hoe. Right, and uh, some inaction at the deadline. Matt, you with us? Or did we lose Matt? I'm here. Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah. There you go. I apologize. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. Okay. Definitely a uh, tough time to be a Red Sox fan. Um, last year's motto was do damage. I believe this year's motto should be do liver damage. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, very... I'll drink to that. <laughs> That's very touche. Uh, so normally uh, tonight we would get into heroes and zeros to recap the series, but uh, not much point in that having gotten swept. Um, so we'll talk mostly about the lack of moves at the trade deadline. We'll also get into uh, some of the bigger moves across the league. So... Um, given the fact we've got swept and, you know, what, what were you guys as, uh, starting with you, Jeremy, what were your thoughts about the silence of, uh, deadline day? Oh, the silence of deadline day. <laughs> the series itself was just embarrassing because of how important it was, how they came off of the Yankee series 
Um, so the actual series itself, you're dead on right. There's nothing positive to talk about. It's a total embarrassment. Uh, and I think it's appropriate coming off the deadline that we performed the way we did today. And this team is not good enough. They're not hungry. Uh, they have a gaping hole in the bullpen, which I guess Brazier is coming back. So maybe that's a positive, but. Um, I just, it's, uh, you know, it, it, am I upset? Yes. Do I wish they did something? Yes. Do I believe they had the assets to do some move for a plus arm? Yes. At the same time, was I willing to blow up this season to, to give up guys like Dahlbach and Chatham and, and the thin depth we have in the minors? No. I was hopeful that they would find some other Kashner type deal where they could give away some low end or median you know medium prospects to get some sort of arm um, but it's not to be and and on some level I don't think it would have made a difference anyways so um, you know I guess at the end of the day I'm thankful that they didn't burn the balance of the of the uh, minor league system get better at it for a team that I don't think is going to get better Matt yeah, I see. I was hoping they make some sort of move, any kind of move, um, for bullpen help. I mean, obviously, it's a glaring, a glaring hole in the bullpen. It didn't have to be something huge. I think that the inactivity spoke volumes, uh, whether it was intentional or not, by the management staff of the Red Sox. Uh, it basically told these teams that they, the team that they're not good enough. And they've given up on them. And I think that the subsequent days since then, uh, the team has pretty much given up because they played like a team that's given up. It's it's tough. Um, I would have sacrificed a Dahlbach or Casas for um, some sort of, of controllable uh, closer. I know Diaz has been absolute trash this year, but... At the same time, you know, if, if you have him for a few years, tweak him. Uh, anything would have been better. It would have said something to the team that, hey, we're still buying in. This is basically the same team that won the World Series last year. Instead, they, they came out and, I mean, they didn't even try to sugarcoat it. They basically said, hey, we weren't close enough. We didn't feel this team was good enough to really spend any prospects. And they did absolutely nothing. And... It's a tough pill to swallow, I guess, If, uh, in my opinion. If they weren't going to do anything and they didn't feel they were good enough to do anything this year, uh, that they should have probably been sellers to some extent this year. I know there's a few guys that they probably could have gotten rid of um, and they didn't do anything, and, and, and that's tough because essentially the reason they didn't want or they couldn't improve was because they were up against the cap space and they didn't have a good farm system. So if you don't want to sell anybody off and you don't want to trade off your farm system and your farm system's not good enough to get anybody, you're just stuck in neutral, and, and that has ramifications beyond just this year but uh, for future years. So my opinion, either you add a couple arms, and, and I'm not saying they had to be great arms, but doing anything would have been better than doing nothing, and they did absolutely nothing, I I could make a case, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I could have made a case for selling off some guys and tried to replenish the bullpen and then, or uh, I'm sorry, replenish the farm system 
and then set yourself up going forward. But they did nothing super disappointing. Um, but the only positive takeaway is the Yankees did absolutely nothing too. So they did nothing to improve their starting rotation, which is a dumpster fire as well. Yeah, I've got a lot of, you know, mixed feelings about, you know, what went on yesterday or lack thereof. And then a a lot of issues currently remain from, you know, from last winter and and the lack of action that that took place at that point. And Dombrowski had a quote where he admitted, you know, to the beat writers basically that if the Red Sox were closer to the division lead, he would have been more aggressive. But, you know, where we were so far back, he didn't want to mortgage big prospects on a one game wild card that we might win. And so I guess my biggest problem here is that the Red Sox worse than any other perennial contending teams front office has the poorest understanding of value. I mean, look at Nathan Avaldi. He's given us nothing this year. 17 million a year. Then you got Steve Pierce. I didn't have a huge problem with the Pierce deal because it was only one year. But that's another $6 million. $23 million for those two players is the same exact money it cost the Yankees to sign Zach Britton and Adam Ottavino for a full year. So so let me ask you this. Are we, were we better off, even without the benefit of hindsight, were we better off with Evaldi and Pierce or would we have been better off with Britton and Ottavino? Absolutely, uh, Ottavino in Britain, and and I was a big Ottavino guy. That was the guy I wanted him to sign. He's a he's a high K rate guy. Um, he, he had some closing experience with the Rockies. Granted, he wasn't the primary option, but he showed the stuff to do it. Um, you know, Britain. Even if they went with Eovaldi and and they went with uh, Ottavino instead of Pierce. Or, or restructured a little bit, maybe move somebody. Uh, maybe it was Nunez's contract, something. Uh, it would have been better, but they added nothing to the bullpen. And, and for Dombrowski to sit there and, and not recognize that they had deficiencies in the bullpen, even with Kimbrell and Kelly, and then to let those two guys who were their eighth and ninth inning high leverage guys walk and not add anything, uh, it's just... I guess that's my biggest issue with Dombrowski. I've beat this drum before in previous podcasts, but the guy had all this opportunity. He he does not know how to build a bullpen, and he does not know how to add major league ready talent or major league level talent to the roster. He seems to have 22 guys that can play, and there's no depth. Um and all those guys have those big contracts. And, and so the salary ramifications are they're always up against the cap and they can't add bullpen help. They can't add any of this depth help. And it hamstrings the team. And, and that's where we are with the Red Sox. We saw we saw them do it with 
Detroit, we've seen him do it with a number of these teams, and, and it's the same story. I think he lucked out a little bit and actually won the World Series with the Sox last year. Um, things worked out where they were able to use their starters as relievers at the end, and that's the only saving grace they had to win this. Um, but he, he definitely underestimated it. And then and me personally, I don't, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I'm interested to get your take. Did you see the comment he made about, oh, you guys would be surprised, everybody would be surprised how many phone calls I took on our relievers, guys wanted our relievers. Is anybody buying that? Because the only calls I could see anybody making on Red Sox relievers would be prank phone calls. I don't see anybody asking legitimately for anybody in that bullpen. That bullpen is absolute trash. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the Phillies definitely did inquire on uh, Brandon Workman for what that's worth. Um, I, but, I mean, I, I think it's it's believable, really, because the, the asking prices were so high everywhere else that, you know, why wouldn't they call us as a matter of due diligence? You know, so I it's somewhat believable. But here's another thought, though. As much as, like, kind of like Jeremy, it doesn't, I'm not extremely bothered that the Red Sox didn't get a reliever, especially with the rotation pitching as poorly because they're not getting to the bullpen with leads. But it does piss me off with the rhetoric of, of Dombrowski saying, well, sometimes it's a matter of having to fix what you have. And then, you know, he mentioned maybe getting Brazier right and bringing him back. I can't, I can't deal with that rhetoric after listening to, oh, it's going to be Barnes and Brazier all season long. A GM who is, who has basically been a GM with three or four different teams, the Twins, Marlins, Tigers, and now the Red Sox, who has a long history of failure when it comes to building bullpens. I'm just tired of hearing that rhetoric, and he's not being honest with us most of the time. And I think, you know, in the day of analytics – a little bit of transparency would be refreshing at this point. You know, Cashman, even though he couldn't reel anybody in, he couldn't get a big-time starter with the Yankees, he was at least honest and, and talked about why each scenario didn't pan out. And we don't get that in Boston. So, Jeremy, do you have any more thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I think Dombrowski is being disingenuous. Um, I think it's insulting to a certain level. Um, you know, one of the quotes he said is, since we were eight games under 500, we've been 18 games over 500. And if we continue on that pace, we'll leapfrog the teams in front of us and make the wild card. Um, so we're just not going to count the first 20 games of the season. That's the plan. We're just going to pretend that didn't happen. Well, Dombrowski, what in the bleep are you talking about? It doesn't make any sense. It's insulting. The, the, the reason why we stunk there was because you didn't have the starting rotation ready to start the season. And then as a result of burning through the bullpen in those 20 games, you, th that was the best part of the bullpen. 
it's been a shell of what it was in, the, in that period of time. This offense continually puts you in a game, uh, puts you back in games. They almost never quit. And whether it be a starting pitcher or the bullpen or both, they just don't give you a chance to win. And his answer is, well, if we forget about the first month then and we play at our current pace, I mean, what the hell are we talking about here? You know, and then he comes back with, well, Brazier's a, a good reliever, and, well, he's so good you just optioned him two weeks ago. And, you know, uh, look, I'm not, I'm not like, totally anti-Brazier, but if your plan is, well, our trade move is just promoting from within for a guy who has been absolutely terrible to the point where you optioned him two weeks ago, it's just, again, it's disingenuous. It's, it's, it's salesmanship. It's selling you a, a car that you know has the fairest Bueller treatment of being put in reverse for fifty thousand miles. I mean, it's just it's it's it pisses me off, and he's 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 becoming a little bit of a scumbag as far as his ability to sit up there uh, in a nice suit and just kind of lie, and that because that's what he's doing. He's lying. It's he can't possibly believe it, and so he's he's providing a narrative. Uh, or rhetoric that I'm sorry he just doesn't believe and the only the only thing that I think is happening that I don't think he has control over is I think that management has castrated him as far as you're not trading you know prospect one through ten so do what you got to do but it's got to be with prospect 11 through the end and you're not you know you're not trading a cluster of these guys and if that's happened then that's fine and I honestly don't have any belief this team's going anywhere, so I don't know that I wanted them to spend an asset. I wasn't, you know, one way or the other once the trade deadline passed. I, I kind of was like, well, thank God, because we're hearing Dahlbach for Diaz, and so that didn't happen, um, you know, because you're trading for that guy for last year, not this year, obviously. So that was a kind of, a, in my mind, a bullet dodge. You keep a prospect. Um but, uh, you know, so that's I guess that's the only thing I would say as far as Dombrowski probably was given a directive for management. And that obviously had an effect. If, if I'm right, it had an effect on his ability or, I guess, inability to make a move. The Diaz talk really had some steam, you know, the day before. Actually, it was Monday. So uh, 48 hours before the deadline. And. You know, Alex Cora had, you know, recruited him for Team Puerto Rico in the WBC in 2017, which went to the finals. They lost to uh, Team USA, but I just figured where there was prior relationships there, Dombrowski had tried to get him in the offseason, and I don't know, I really thought something might might materialize there. I was a hard no because, you know, he was great in Seattle, which is a small market, low pressure, and it's one of the most pitcher-friendly ballparks next to maybe Comerica in Detroit or whatever they call it now. And and then he comes to a big market and not effective and got shelled for, for I think it was five runs on the night of the 30th. So here we are into the 31st and he just got, he got shelled again. And, you know, I don't know. And then, you know, Shane Green was a big name. He ended up going to the Braves. Uh, the, the Dodgers also had a lot of trouble trying to 
you know, trying to bolster their bullpen and, and their farm system was better. So that's what, you know, I, I just come out of this thinking we really didn't have the pieces to do it. And it's such a long shot that we're gonna, we're gonna improve. We'll get into some other teams in a minute, but the Astros improved immensely. Uh, the Indians did sort of, especially offensively. So, you know, and I just, there was no big splash for us and we're getting penalized by our previous bad decisions and it's just, it's painful right now. And it's, it's even hard to be optimistic for next year. And there's going to be several moving parts throughout the winter, losing guys, money coming off the books and possible trades, you know, you know, once we get, you know, through the winter meeting. So <sighs> frustrated. Well, here's the the other thing. I, you know, you look at Dombrowski made the comment about what, uh, what they had done previously to the, uh, previous to the deadline, the hot streak they were on and how, if they continued on that pace, they, you know, they catch the other teams. The one thing that wasn't, factored into that statement was all the other teams made moves to get better and the Red Sox stood pat and it's like well that's great you know the Astros got better the Twins got better the Rays got better the Indians got better the A's got better they all made moves the Yankees didn't but you know one of the the things to note about the Yankees is uh, you know while their fans are about as pissed as Red Sox fans are right now they're still on schedule to get Severino back and Batances back, and they're they're looking at um, you know really getting um, Stanton back and Sanchez it back and Voit back and Sabathia back and Brett Gardner back. I mean, there's a lot of guys who are injured for that team, and they've still they've they've got a 12 game lead on the Red Sox now. So, I mean, I just named. Uh, seven guys right there that are starters that are going to be coming back. The Red Sox, the only guys that they're missing right now are Pierce, Johnson, and Wright, really. I don't think I'm missing anybody else that isn't back. So this team, as it's constructed currently, is what you're going to have the rest of the year. And I don't see them – I really don't see them getting that much better. What you see is what you're going to get. The Yankees have, you know, seven starters – Coming back, they're going to get better. Their ace is coming back. Their eighth inning guy is coming back. Their home run hitter, you know, their, their top power guy is coming back. Their their fourth outfielder is coming back. Their first baseman's coming back. I mean, that's that's huge. I mean, you can't discount that. So every other team that's in contention is getting better, and the Red Sox just stayed pat. And their bullpen is atrocious. I mean... Watching the games coming into this, they weren't very good. Even the games they won, you know, it was due to the offense and the offense just clicking. And you can't count on that all the time. Sometimes they're gonna they're gonna hit some streaks where they just can't knock guys in. The Red Sox, the one thing they've been really consistent at this year is being inconsistent, and that showed again in the Rays series. I mean, they left fifty seven guys on base. That, that you can't do that if you want to win. They they struck out at a, a just a ridiculous clip. I, I 
during the the three game span, they they struck out thirty times. I, I mean, ten times a game. That's it's not good. Um, so to to do nothing again as as a longtime Red Sox fan. Okay, if you didn't want to do anything, you didn't feel you were good enough, they, they should have been sellers. Uh, I'm not saying you have to blow up the whole team, but there were some parts. I, I don't care. You know, you could have sold, you could have checked in on price. I mean, obviously, you have some issues there where he's he's just been, you know, uh, he's he's been kind of a pain. He's overpaid. Granted, lately, he hasn't, he hasn't pitched well, but maybe somebody bites on it. I mean... For God's sake, you, you look at Pomerantz. He just went for Mauricio DeBron, who's a decent prospect. If, if somebody's willing to give up something for, for Drew Pomerantz, we've all seen what he's done. Uh, granted, he's been better as a relief pitcher, but it's Drew Pomerantz. Uh, you could have probably gotten something from Price. There's probably not much that you could have gotten from uh, for Porcello. I mean, he's terrible. Uh, but Jay, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., if you decided, hey, let's have a conversation with with J.D. Martinez and say, hey, J.D., you know, we want to re-sign you. We know there's a good chance you're going to opt out. You want to restructure your deal. We're going to trade you off, get some prospects, rebuild this team, and we want to bring you back as a key component. But for the rest of the year, we don't feel we're built to win. So when you opt out, we're going to give you what you want. You're, we're, we're here for you. You know, bets, if they – if they don't plan on re-signing him. Maybe the winter wasn't the best time to get him. Um, you know, Holt, maybe they have a similar conversation with Holt that they do with J.D. Martinez. Hey, next year, guess what? Uh, we want you back, but this year is just not going to have it. So we're going to try to trade you to a contender, and uh, we'll talk after the season. Um, there's a number of guys that maybe they could have replenished the farm system, uh, shed some salary, and really got their their – uh, get under the luxury tax for next year and re replenish your farm system. So next year, you know, just Jackie Bradley Jr., Betts, Price, and J.D. Martinez. Let's say they trade those four guys. That frees up over $90 million for next year. And, yeah, you know, maybe you don't want to get rid of Betts. I don't know where they stand on that. But even the other guys, that still clears up $60 million on top of what uh, they're anticipated to have another $65 million, I believe, next year. That's a lot of money to throw down. I mean, you have guys like Garrett Cole and, and Corey Kluber out there. It, it would have probably, if they didn't feel confident enough in this team, they probably should have sold some guys and set themselves up for the future. And, and they didn't do anything. Uh, being stuck in neutral and being inactive, I'm, I'm not sure that was a viable option. I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, I mean, at some point here, the players also have to be held accountable. Now, Jeremy, you, you've mentioned quite a bit and harped on it, and, and rightfully so, that the approach out of spring training or even through spring training into the regular season wasn't good because our starters were not ready. They were not where they needed to be to start the season. But we're in August now, and at some point, there has to be accountability on the the pitching, the starters, the bullpen. I mean, Chris Sale should be pretty well dialed in right now, but he's been an albatross. Same could be said for basically David Price from July 1st on. These guys just aren't pitching well. And, you know, we do have to put some of it on them. And 
Alex Cora as the manager and, you know, ultimately the leader of the Red Sox needs to hold these guys accountable and at some point be like, listen, you, you guys just weren't getting it done, you know, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe if everybody stepped up, you know, things would have been different. And Dombrowski didn't say it exactly that way. He said, if we were closer to first, he, he would have, you know, possibly made some moves, but I think the players, you know, they, they deserve to be held accountable here. And I'm just questioning whether or not the manager is actually doing that. I think it's a good question. I think he's a a lot to blame. You mentioned, you know, coming out of spring training and being ready for the season. And I've talked about this a number of times. I mean, he was still talking about last year. In fact, after they won the third game against New York in his post-game press conference, he said these words, and I'm paraphrasing, it's starting to feel like last year. So, again, he's focusing, like Bill Belichick would lose his mind about someone saying that. But not Alex Cora. Alex Cora just is so quick to go back to last year. And I I think it's a big part of the explanation why this team's underperforming. I mean, look, at the end of the day, these programs, you know, businesses, office settings, whatever may be the case, take on the personality of your leader. And there's no doubt that Alex Core is a laid-back guy, and he's practical and all those things. It just seems to me that they're just a little too laid-back. There's there's not enough fight. And to the extent there is, it's only from the, from the lineup. The starters just aren't competitive more often than they're not, and the bullpen's certainly not. So, I mean... I think Cora is a big part of those failures, um, starting with his characterization going into the regular season about trying to recapture 2018. It's just, it's so stupid. It seems so silly. I literally said it in the moment. Terry will vouch for me. I've been saying this since before the regular season started. I just think the season was set up for failure based on the coddling that went into the postseason. And I'm not saying you don't need to protect guys who just threw an extra five weeks worth of innings. You know, and like David Price threw, I think, like 45 extra innings or whatever it was. Like, I agree there has to be some downward departure from normal spring training as a result of the shortened offseason. But what this team did is they just tried to reinvent the wheel. And to my, in my opinion, it completely backfired. The, the pitching had to, it stunk so bad that the bullpen had to come in and save the first month of the season. And once the, the starting rotation kind of got their legs underneath them, the bullpen had been taxed already. And here we are months later, into August, and it's the same issues we've been talking about all season. So, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I as, as far as the trade and to put a button on that and who to trade and all that, I, I, I wouldn't have minded it a mid-level prospect, but as it were, I'm not terribly upset that they didn't make a move. I think Dombrowski's a coward, don't get me wrong, and I don't think he could build a bullpen if someone else was building it for him, but... I think it's smart and prudent not to blow up future years because you still have a really good core. And if you can put 
a couple of power arms in that bullpen over an offseason, that in and of itself may have a tremendous effect. Uh, that with Sale potentially coming back to where he should be and not 4-12. and 12. Now, Let me ask one other. Oh, go, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask one other quick question that's kind of a side note away from the trade deadline. I just got thinking, what are the chances that maybe the Red Sox move away from Dana Lavangi as their pitching coach? Because, man, their pitching woes, I don't care if it's with the starting rotation or their bullpen, they're bad across the board. And I mean, if, if a team wins the World Series last year and you bring back, and essentially you bring back the same exact team uh, minus Kelly and, and Kimbrell, and, and that pitching staff underperforms, somebody's head's got to roll. Something, Somebody's going to have to fall on the sword. What are the chances that Lavangi is the guy that, that doesn't make it through the season? Well, he will. I don't think anybody's getting fired this this season, but the pitching coach typically is one of the first to go. We saw it with the Mets probably a month or so ago. And it's a little trickier with Lavangi because he's been in the organization for 20 years. He was the bullpen coach for several years, and he wasn't really Cora's guy. Like, Cora brought in a lot of his own people, you know, but but with Lavangi, I don't know if that was kind of pushed on him or, or what, or maybe he ultimately did decide, but, but Lavangi was with the organization previously, so... <laughs> and he's been here 20 years, so I think it's going to be a little different from, you know, the Red Sox firing Juan Nieves in the 2015 season. But it's something that should be looked at regardless of loyalty and and past history because the rotation, the only starter right now pitching well is Eduardo Rodriguez. And that's a tragedy because normally it's everybody else pitching well except him. He's on the DL. So the year he finally steps up and at times has pitched like a top of the rotation guy, everybody else is tanking. And and it's also, I feel bad for Xander Bogarts who's having a career year, you know, and and you know, um, Raphael Devers having a breakout year and all of that is getting wasted right now by the team's overall performance. And with Dave Dombrowski here, nobody is happy with him. Like there can't be any, any faction of Red Sox nation that that's happy with him. You know, the, the prospect huggers, you know, maybe cause he didn't deal anyone away, but the future isn't really brighter in that area, and I just can't imagine any faction of this fan base is pleased by any of the moves he's made. And I, I, apparently his contract is up after next year, so I think worst case scenario, we have him for another full year, but a lot of big decisions have to get made this offseason, and it's so painful to to think that he might be the one making those decisions. Totally agree. Totally agree. It's a problem. Um, you know, I don't know that I have too much to add there, and because frankly, I've said a lot of it over the over 
other podcast, which I guess just leads me to my only point, which is if you're the Red Sox, you had to see this thing coming. So, look, I understand where let's not overpay for prospects because we only have so few anyways. But at the end of the day, um, and maybe maybe Dombrowski is in some way telling the truth, uh, but he just is such a snake oil salesman that it just comes across disingenuous. It's insulting. And to me, uh, you know, in doing this podcast, the whole thing just seems so contrived, like it was something he practiced for hours before he walked out there and answered to the media. So, I mean, that's my biggest problem, I think, in all of this, is I just think Dombrowski's, coupled with his inability to build a bullpen, just he sucks at his job, and he sucks in a fashion that's, I think, insulting to the far majority of the fan base. Let's uh, shift gears for a minute. Um, I said at the beginning of this show that the Red Sox have the poorest understanding of value of any team. The Astros, more than anyone else, have a great understanding of value. So here's a summary of some of the moves they've made going back to uh, two seasons ago. At the August 31st deadline, which doesn't exist anymore, uh, they acquired Justin Verlander for a package of prospects from the Detroit Tigers. And Verlander had 10-5 rights, so that meant he could veto the trade where he had been in the league for 10 years and with his most recent team for five years. So that's where 10-5 rights come from. And he wanted to be a Cub so bad, but the Cubs, you know, they just weren't in play. They didn't have a trade package that, you know, the, the Astros were, uh, excuse me, that the, uh, the Tigers, excuse me, were comfortable with. So with 40 seconds left before the midnight deadline, the August 31st deadline was midnight, with 40 seconds left, he agreed to go to the Astros. And in exchange also uh, for the prospects, the Astros had to, uh, excuse me, the Tigers had to pay $8 million of Verlander's deal every year. So that brought the Astros balance down to $20 million a year. So they got him for Rick Porcello money. 2017, his last handful of starts, he had a 1.06 ERA with the Astros. Went on to help them win the World Series. Last year, he had a 2.52 ERA, was the Cy Young runner-up. This year, he's he's far and away the front-runner for the American League Cy Young. So they got maximum value at the same price that the Red Sox paid for Rick Porcello. Just outstanding value. He did sign a two-year extension, which kicks in next year with the Astros for $33 million a year. That's a lofty price, you know, for an annual, you know, salary. But it's only two years, and the performance justifies it. This past winter, when everybody was going crazy and jockeying, for Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, the Astros sat back, played it cool, didn't even get involved. They said, you know what? Give us Michael Brantley, two years, $32 million. This season he's hit 321 with a, uh, a 382 on base, 516 slugging percentage. That brings his OPS to 899. He's hit 16 home runs, driven in 61. 3.7 war, and he was the starter 
in the All-Star game. And I think uh, right field. Excellent move there. Great value. And they're not handcuffed by the contracts that the Phillies and the Padres, you know, saddled themselves down with. And those two teams, not going to make the playoffs. Dallas Keuchel wasn't retained this year. Three out of his last five seasons, he had an ERA sub three. Uh, last year, he had like a 378 ERA. You know, wasn't stellar, but the Red Sox would certainly take that on a year like this. He had a 3.31 uh, postseason ERA. Pretty healthy sample size there. And you know what? I think it would have been a good signing for them to retain him, but they said, you know what? We're not. We're still not going to do it. We're going to bring in Wade Miley on a one-year deal for $4.5 million. He's got a 3.06 ERA right now. And say what you want about Wade Miley, but that's a pitching program that improves basically everyone who's been there. Miley was a number five. He's pitching to a number three this year. Charlie Morton was a number five. He was pitching to a number two or a number three on most teams. And he's he's a Cy Young contender this year with the Rays. And uh, Garrett Cole was an ace already, but when they brought him in, his strikeout rate went through the roof. And last I checked, he was leading Major League Baseball with strikeouts. So one way or the other, he's improved. Justin Verlander, people were writing him off. Now, he did kind of get himself on the right track before he arrived to the Astros. He was the runner-up in 2016 to Rick Porcello, controversially. Probably should have won it. So, you know, he, he had kind of, you know, revived his career anyway. But the Astros, you know, moved him forward and just pitching really well at 35 years of age. And then finally, yesterday, Zach Grinke, out of nowhere, gets traded to the Astros. Currently this year, he's got a 287 ERA with a 0.94 whip. And he's going to be their number three starter. We don't know who the... I almost did it. I almost said the F word. Uh... For everyone that listening in their offices right now, you're welcome. We're, we're working on the swearing, but I nearly uh, swore there. Um, we don't know who the Red Sox number three starter is, really. It should be Rodriguez behind Price and Sale, but, uh, you know, that's not how it's shaking out this year. Zach Krinke is, is the number three behind Cole and Verlander on that team. And much like the Verlander deal, the uh, Astros are saving $9 million per season, and they only have him for two years left, you know, after this year remaining on his deal. So they'll pay $26.5 million for two more years of Zach Greinke, who is still an ace in Major League Baseball. So that's a team that understands value. Our team thought it was a good idea to give Nathan Avaldi a four-year, $68 million deal based on three postseason starts. That's all it took. When three weeks before the postseason last year, we didn't even know what his role was going to be. He was largely a disappointment for much of the second half of last year when we've traded him. And he's never pitched to the level of his current contract 
over the course of a full season. But the Red Sox, based on three starts, laid down, gave him a massive deal. I don't think the Astros would have signed Chris Sale a year early. They they wouldn't extend Garrett Cole when they had the means to do it. They said, you know what? We're going to hold off on him. We signed Verlander. We're going to hold off on Cole. The Red Sox would have laid down all day on the Garrett Cole thing. And they they laid off of Dallas Keiko. That team is the model for, for how you run an organization. I'm not going to get into the Dodgers organization, but that's a similar team that has it together and doesn't make stupid decisions. And... You know, maybe they've coughed up two World Series, but they got there and they're probably going to get there again. What are we? We're just not on the level of those teams and we need to get there. I agree I with mean, you. Oh, go ahead. Nope. Go for it. Uh, my apologies. Uh, I, I agree with you on that, Terry. I mean, you look at even back with the Red Sox. Um, how quick were they to sign Rick Porcello to a, an extension? I think they did it before the, the season was even, you know, a month into the first season. No, they, they, they did it. it. They did it the very night before the opening day. It yeah. Ha- it happened the night before. And, and he had even proved himself out, and, and people questioned that. And, and granted, Porcello's been like an every-other-year type guy. Uh, they did it with Evaldi. You're right. They did it with Pierce. They did it with some of these guys. Meanwhile, the Astros have signed guys like uh, uh, Presley, who's just been absolutely dominant, and they got him off the scrap heap. Um, uh, to your point, uh, Wade Miley, um, uh, these guys, they, they haven't given up the top prospects either for, uh, yes, they gave up a, a large haul for Grinky, but they still have Forrest Whitley, they have Josh James, they have uh, Kyle Tucker, they have Jordan Alvarez, they they didn't give up their, their meat and potatoes of, of their young talent. Um, these guys have gotten by doing that. The Dodgers have been pretty good at that as well. I'll give those guys credit. And that's why they've been to two straight World Series. Um, and, and people have knocked them. A couple of years ago, they wanted to give up uh, Bellinger. They wanted them to give up Verdugo. They wanted them to give up uh, a whole bunch of their guys, Seager. Uh, and they haven't done it. Granted, they haven't won the World Series. I'll take the World Series any time as the Red Sox go, but it's tough. It, it is tough because sometimes we overvalue, I think, our talent that we have in the minors, which isn't that great, uh, or we undervalue guys who are really good. Um, on the flip side, you're right. We're quick to give, and Dombrowski especially, is quick to give these guys extensions who haven't proved themselves out. Uh, a lot of people are, are knocking the Chris Sale deal, and they said, hey, they, sh- they should have let him play through this year and saw what he could have got. Uh, I'd question, you know, Sale has not pitched great this year. He's been very unsale-like. You, they probably could have signed him for a hell of a lot less than they, they signed him for. And, um, you know, now we're sitting here going, okay, well, you know, was it was it a good deal, wasn't it? It's tough. You're right. Sometimes they overvalue their own guys within the organization for the Red Sox, and and the Astros have been fantastic. Luno, Jeff Luno, is his hit home runs left and right. Everything, every move he's made has been fantastic. I mean, look at what he gave up for Garrett Cole. He gave up Joe Musgrove, 
uh, who's who's solid, but he's he's not anything fantastic. He gave up Michael Feliz, Jason Martin, Colin Moran. Uh, I mean, none of those guys. Uh, here we are a couple of years later. None of them have done anything. And you know, the Verlander deal. I don't I don't know of anybody over there that's done that much uh, for Detroit that they they switched over there. So it it's. It's interesting. I mean, these guys seem to have it down. You get to see with like a Houston Astros uh, organization and, and Jeff Luno what a really, really solid GM can do. Uh, I'd still argue that Theo Epstein with the Cubs and, and what he did with the Red Sox, uh, Theo is still in that in that category of elite GMs. I don't, I don't think know that so. he is. I think I think Epstein's made a ton of missteps, you know, in the last couple of years. I mean, the Hayward signing, that's an albatross. I mean, he's getting he's not much bit bigger of an upgrade over Jackie Bradley, really, you know, you know, by the end of the year. And the U Darvish thing, I guess it's worked out okay this year, but didn't get off to a good he's start. Overvalu- he's overvalued Schwarber like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah, and the Yankees, he refused to give Schwarber to the Yankees in the Chapman deal in 2016 and instead coughed up Glaber Torres. So that was a huge <laughs> misstep. Um, it, it's the Quintana was bad. Yeah, there, there was another reliever that came, uh, not a reliever, a uh, starter that came from Colorado. I forget his name. He's been absolutely terrible. Um, he's there's just been a, a ton of missteps on the part of uh, Epstein, and um, you know they they're probably well. Actually, I don't know if they're going to win their division. The Cardinals have come on strong. I, I guess I'd still pick the Cubs to do it, but I put them in like the you know the Yankees category of they're just not going to go far when they get there. But as but, far as the Astros go. With that, uh, the deal that I think flew under the radar that I think is going to pay major dividends, uh, I, I see, you know, whether it's this year or next year, is the Aaron Sanchez stuff. He's got filthy stuff. He's had those blister issues, whether they use him out of the bullpen or what they do with him. The Sanchez deal, I think, was uh, as good. I, I mean, Grinky, don't get me wrong, is unbelievable. But that Sanchez, if, he, if they can harness his stuff and turn him into what he was previously – he's real scary out of there. He could be somebody that's that's on par with like what they did with Presley when they got him for a bag of peanuts from the Twins. He's, so you're you're right. You're dead on. The Astros are unbelievable right now with what they're doing. He's going to be better. Sanchez is. I think he'll slot in at their as their number five. But there was a lot of bullpen talk surrounding him throughout the day. So I didn't check to see how they plan to utilize him. But you're absolutely right. You know he. I picked him to, I think, win the Cy Young in 2016, and obviously it didn't work out, and or maybe that was 2017, and um, he had he only made like seven or eight starts that year because of the blisters, but he's been a guy, you know, like almost an Erod type guy that could potentially emerge as a top of the rotation guy, but yeah. Anyway, Jeremy, go ahead. What are your thoughts? So I really care about the red the effect on the red Sox, and here's how i have that if i could just break it down as simply as possible 
New York is the clear cut. They're going to win the East. They just have too much offense. Their bullpen, I think, is going to be good enough. Um, I don't consider them a World Series contender because I think they're starting – their starting rotation is just an absolute dumpster fire. I, the fact that they're overcoming it, I think it goes to show you, and their injuries goes to show you how talented they are everywhere else. Um, I just don't see it also with the Devil Rays. I think they're a playoff team here. I think they get one of the wild card spots, but I don't think that they have the horses at the end of the day to beat the Astros. I do think in a, in a short series, they're actually better than the Yankees because I think they have, they're going to have better pitching, and I think Cash is a better tactician than Boone. Uh, in the East, the Red Sox, I, I have them uh, probably falling out by the middle of September. Um, I just, look, I know there's a Red Sox podcast. I, I just don't believe they're going to improve enough to get in. So, then you come up on the Twins and the Indians. I think the Indians got worse. I don't see how you remove Bauer from that starting rotation to make them better. And I understand, you know, maybe they've added a bat and Puig and some other things. But to me, I do think they overcome the Twins. But I think the Indians win the Central. At the Twins win the second wild card. And then here's where I just think it's over. The Astros, who are already the better team, added the best piece and then with Verlander, the rest of that rotation, and now you add Grinky, and as Terry said, Terry slots him in at the third spot. I mean, that, that becomes, I think, untenable for the rest of the AL. I, I, I just don't think, certainly in the East, there's enough talent to overcome that. Um, and then in the Central, again, with Cleveland, I think getting potentially worse. And Minnesota... Um, catching lightning in a bottle i don't think they are as good as their record indicates to me this thing is kind of boring i mean it's now that they got Granky, it's houston it's houston the whole way they got the best uh talent they got a great manager in aj hinch um uh to me it's not close i and and to me it not only is it not close it takes a lot of the excitement away because i think they're just the clear-cut favorite and I'd be frankly shocked if they don't make it to a World Series, given uh, their aggressive uh, approach to the trade deadline versus um, you know teams like the Red Sox and the Yankees. So that's how I kind of reset the AL, and I think the Granky trade is huge. Um, and Houston was the best team, and then they got better. And I just don't see it any other way. They're thirty games over five hundred at seventy and forty. They're rolling the West, um, you know, just piece after piece. Their depth, uh, they're balanced across all phases of the game. You know, um, I just, you know, they play good in their home ballpark. They're going to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. I, there's just too much. And then you add Granky, and they're even better. So that's how I have – that's how I kind of reset the AL East after the, after the trade deadline. And, and with the Red Sox, um, there's just too many issues. And, to, and with the underwhelming performance of the starting rotation, starting with Chris Sale and the bullpen – I'd be interested to see, and if you're if you're still on the podcast, one thanks for listening and staying on uh, this far. I'd love for you to hit us up and give the reason why you think 
this team is going to make the playoffs because I'm at a total loss for any explanation that the season's going to go that way at this point. So that's where I'm at with the AL. Let's uh, get into the Indians here real quick. And Jeremy, I I think you'll be surprised actually with how they came out. And just to set it up, they're going to play the Yankees in all likelihood. I think the Astros are going to run away with the number one seed, end up playing the wild card, whoever that ends up being. Probably between the, the Rays and the Twins or... Or, you know, you, you got to factor Oakland in there, actually. So it's going to be an intense three-way race. But but the, the Indians, if they win the division, and I suspect they will because the Twins didn't really make any impact moves, uh, you know, they'll go on to play the Yankees. And they did lose Bauer, but Corey Kluber is going to be coming back. He pitched uh, a side session on Saturday, and his next step at some point uh, this week, I think, is a uh, simulated game. They're going to get Danny Salazar back, who has uh, he's given up five runs in 17 innings, but they're looking at him as like a opener, a multi-inning opener or a long relief type guy. He's been out with shoulder uh, surgery since 2017, but long thought to be a potential top-of-the-rotation guy. He could play a role. They're going to get Carrasco back. Clevenger's been lights out. Uh, uh, is it Shane Bieber, you know, has you know emerged as a potential ace. So I think they have enough, and I think they're just going to keep building momentum throughout you know, September. And then the pieces they got back in the Bauer trade, Yasiel Puig hitting 252 this year, which is basically on par for his career. 22 home runs, 61 RBI. Fran Mill Reyes, which I couldn't believe, you know, he's basically the centerpiece of this trade, came from the Padres because it was a three-way trade between the, the Reds, Padres, and uh, Indians. He's got five years of control left after this year. He's hitting 255 right now with 27 bombs, 46 RBIs. So five more years of that, and who knows what his ceiling is. Could potentially be, you know, a top five MVP guy perennially going forward. And the outfield for the Indians has always been their Achilles heel throughout the entire Francona run. I mean, they did have Brantley, which was good, but then they had Tyler Naquin, Brandon Zimmer. It's just been year in and year out, a weak outfield and it's explosive now. So I, you know, I think there's, there's potential for them to, to get a boost offensively. They did get a couple of pitching prospects that won't be up until at least next year, but given given the fact they're not quite the Astros when it comes to developing these guys, but they do have you know a, a pretty good record of you know of homegrown pitching. So I I think they did really well, and if if uh, Kluber comes back and he, he should be pretty well rested, joining Clevenger and, and Bieber, that's a great one two three. For, for the ALDS, and it's going to be against the Yankees, and I don't think the Indians are afraid of anyone, so I wouldn't write them out. I'm not going to put them in the World Series, but like 2016, just go round by round and see how they do, and I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. 
I, I I don't disagree with that. I just to me the Astros are the best team. And and I would enjoy an ALCS with those two teams in it. Um and look, at the end of the day that you know, you get one team with a hot pitcher and he gets three starts in a series. We saw it with Bumgarner in what, twenty fourteen? Where literally they won one non-Bumgardner start, and he won his three starts, and they won a World Series as a, as a result. So you just never know, um, obviously, and that's what makes baseball so enjoyable. Is you're only as good as the next day's starting pitcher. But uh, to me, this seems like a runaway situation, and I'm not saying that it's going to be a runaway as far as they're just going to sweep everyone and basically did what the Red Sox did in 2018. I don't think it's going to be that easy. Um, but to me, they're just the most talented. And frankly, um, yeah, I respect the program. They've built something there that's uh, entertaining to watch. Um, they've got entertaining personalities, a manager who I think handles things appropriately, not only with the team in the clubhouse, but the media. Um, so to me, if I'm a betting man, uh, and I am, uh, I'm I'm taking the Astros after the trade deadline, and uh, and and as we've seen the pieces fall in the line, I, I'm taking the Astros heavy here to win the AL pennant. I mean, I ultimately think they will, but I don't know. I just I just think the Indians. Are Matt, be... Matt, did you see did you see how that happened there? Where Terry then ended up agreeing with me. <laughs> see, I hate not... I hate I hate when that happens. Jeez, that was a bold one to I'm... agree on too. <laughs> I've got to be honest. I'm I'm more on Terry's side. I think Cleveland might be the second best team now in the AL. I, I, I'd put them ahead of the the Yankees, um, and some people may knock me for that, but uh, I, I agree 110. percent The outfield has been the big knock against Cleveland, and now you have two guys who are just. I mean, Puig, if he can harness his talent, Puig Puig has. I don't think we've seen the best of Puig, I'll be honest with you. The guy's he's just like a ball of muscle who can he can do everything. It's just keeping his focus. And Franmil Reyes is a forty to forty five home run talent um annually. And yes, they gave up Bauer. But to Terry's point, you're getting Kluber back. Uh they actually got Salazar back tonight. He pitched that. okay. He's gonna be your fifth starter. Um Salazar, his fastball was topping out at about 89 miles an hour tonight. Um, he didn't pitch terrible. Uh, he, he's got some nasty stuff still. He's got some good breaking pitches. He pitched well in his rehab. But you also have the guy that, that Terry didn't mention is Zach Plezak. And, and Plezak has been pretty good so far. Um, you know, you couple that with... Shane Bieber, even if Shane Bieber, Kluber comes back to Kluber and Clevenger as your top three, and you can and, and Carrasco, who's out with uh, dealing with leukemia, I believe it is right now. I mean, those are your, those are your. Oh crap! I just was a dumbass and lost them. Uh, he was just talking about uh, Zach Plesak, which uh, <laughs> I'm a dumbass. Um, I forgot about him. He made his uh, pro debut this year, I think, against the Red Sox and pitched pretty well over uh, five innings or so. Gave up like two runs. He's the 
uh, nephew of Mets pitcher Dan Plesak, and um, so he could uh, he could definitely play uh, a factor here coming up. Uh, just bear with me as I get these guys back. What happened was my the device I was using my Skype on <laughs> went dead. I was supposed to plug it in and did not. So uh, just be a second there. I'm not very good when it comes to uh, technical uh, glitches. So um, we're going to get into the Yankees here uh, before we get into the actual ex- Yankees preview, which we'll wrap the show with. Um, I feel like a total dumbass. I am. I am a dumbass. So I don't know how many of you are on uh, Periscope right now, but I'm firing up my Twitter right now uh, to get these guys back. You know, but just to hammer home, I mean, we watch all these teams do absolutely brilliant, uh, you know, moves and the Red Sox just get absolute terrible value out of all these guys. And it's just absolutely brutal. And, you know, I, it's, we'll, we'll figure out, you know, what goes on next year and, uh, how they might set up for the, uh, the winter, but just absolutely terrible. I wonder if, uh, (laughs) If Matt even knows uh, what's going on right now, he might be just gabbing away, not knowing we disconnected. My Skype's firing up right now, so I should have these guys back literally within seconds. Garrett Cole is uh, going to be on the market this year as well, and that's just not, you know, the Red Sox won't be in on him because of the current situations, unless they can somehow escape, uh, if they can somehow escape one of the contracts. And uh, my device is acting up. So this is just absolutely miserable right now. The Indians and the Astros and the ALCS. Hey, guys. I, uh, I just think that... I, guys, I just think- hey, I lost you guys for like... For probably three or four minutes. I don't... You probably didn't even know I was gone. No, I didn't. No. And I had some excellent points. Oh. And so I blame Terry for not getting those points to the audience. So I just, basically the sum. I just got some the, the sum of the parts is this. The sum of the parts is this. It's frustrating that the Yankees are going to get in because they're just not they're the they're the least uh likely to win a World Series of any playoff contender because their pitch starting pitching is pathetic. So that's point one. Like I don't care that they're gonna win the East. They obviously are. They're just not built to win a title. That's what's so frustrating about the Red Sox. They, if the Red Sox find a way to get in, win the wild card, and get into the ALDS, you're still going Erod Price sale, and I like that better than anything the Yankees can throw at you. Um, now, I don't, you know, not to say who wins the series or whatever, because frankly, they're never going to get to that ALDS. But it, that's what's so frustrating is the Yankees are clearly the better regular season team. 
but the Red Sox are built better to win in the postseason. And so that's what makes it so frustrating that they won't get there. Now, notwithstanding the East, all right, just talking about the AL, I agree 100%. The Indians and the Astros are the two best teams. To me, losing Bauer, despite the fact that they got some serious value back, okay, because no one's disputing that, they still have to leapfrog the Twins, and I think they will do that, but you know, they still have to they still have to accomplish that to, to avoid a wild card game. Because as you know, if they don't leapfrog the twins, they're probably gonna play the double rays and who the fuck knows in one of those one off games, right? So then you then I hearken back to the fact that it's the Astros and they're the best team before Wednesday, and now they got better and they're even better than they were. So they're clearly better and have distanced themselves even more than the rest of the league. I think it's the Indians. I think it's the Astros and the ALCS. I just think the Astros are just loaded top to bottom with the best manager. Um, But as an aside, I love Terry Francona. His reaction when he walked out to the mound and Bauer threw the ball off the uh, uh, the hitter's eye in center field was absolutely priceless. What a moment. And then for him to be traded basically 24 hours later... um, you know, interesting situation there as an aside. Yeah, let's uh, get into the Yankees here pretty quick. And let me actually, before we do, let me ask this question. Aren't they playing worse now than the Red Sox were in 2011 when they had that historic collapse? Because... Are, are, the, are the Yankees playing worse? I would, yeah. That was a br- – so was that the year that they lost to, what, the Braves or something in the last game of the season to to blow, like, a six-game lead? Uh, that Well, we we lost to the Orioles in, the, in game 162, and, and there was a crazy scenario in play because that was the last year, I think, before the second wild card was implemented. And if the Red Sox beat the Orioles that night, we're in the ALDS – if the Yankees beat the Rays, we would have went to a, a game one six three three with the Rays and then get in. And but the Red Sox lost to the Orioles, and then the Yankees blew a seven to nothing lead in the game against the Rays. Evan Longoria hit a shot out to basically right down the left field line to basically sink the Red Sox and. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, that we had a 10 game lead coming into September, blew the whole thing. Francona was fired a few days later. Um, Just an epic meltdown. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying the Yankees are going to collapse, but their inaction yesterday for their starting rotation was was stunning to me. And. We'll get through why each one didn't work, but this is just the month of July for their four primary starters. Jay Happ, 5.04 ERA in July. Paxton uh, for the month, 5.68. Sabathia, he's on the DL, just received an injection in his knee, so I don't know what that means for his timetable to come back, but he had a 7.17 ERA. And then most ominously of all, Masahiro Tanaka, an 8.77 ERA for the month of July. I mean, this is a team that's trending the wrong way. And Luke Voigt 
it might not come back. He might need hernia surgery. So that's a big hit. I don't know what Stanton's timetable is, but they're not firing on all cylinders. And I don't know if the Ray, the Red Sox certainly aren't going to catch him because we got our own issues. So I don't know if the Rays can kind of put it together and overcome their issues to, to make a race out of it. But th- they could very well limp. see that happening. I really could. Um, they're saying that, uh, Stanton isn't even resuming baseball activities with his knee so far. Um, this team, I don't know that they're going to get healthy. I'm not confident that Severino is going to come back. Uh, but Tances, everybody says he's going to come back. I'm not I'm not confident that these guys are going to come back or come back to what they should be. I can see the Rays catching them, and I can see it being – the Rays winning the East at the very end because I think they're seven games back, which isn't an insurmountable lead. Uh, we were almost there uh, until we just fell apart in the last week. But um, I don't want to talk about that. I'm already sad. But, um, you know, really, I could see the Rays winning the East and uh, the Twins and, and uh, Indians both making out of the Central and Houston making it out of the West. And, and I can see the Yankees losing it at the very end because I don't think they have the starting pitching. And I kind of get some of it. Um, some of the rumors behind them not going after Trevor Bauer was Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole hate each other, and the Yankees are locked in on, on Garrett Cole next year. A lot of people think that the Yankees are the the – um, it's basically a foregone conclusion that the Yankees are going to get Garrett Cole next year. Uh, he wants to go out west, but the Yankees, they think, are going to throw down a crazy amount of money. But if if Trevor Bauer's there, for whatever reason, the two of them hate each other and, and, and they don't think that Cole would sign and they were higher on Cole, uh, Cole than, than Bauer. So I kind of get them not trading for him. But that said, I don't think they have... Uh, they've had too many injuries. I think too many guys have been playing way above their heads that are going to come down to uh, where uh, they're going to regress to the means, uh, like um, Giovanni uh, Urcella or whatever his name is, or at third base. And, you know, some of these other guys are just going to come back. Their pitching staff, their starting rotation is trash. Um, their relief pitching is actually underperformed uh, compared to what they normally do, but. That may that may continue. Who knows? Uh, I, I definitely think the Rays made some moves uh, to to really bolster their team. The Yankees did nothing. I mean, we're looking at the Rays. Uh, I don't know that we really talked too much about what the Rays have added, but um, you know, we're they're added. They added uh, Aguilar, who who is a good power threat for him. Sogard is is pretty good. Um, they added Nick Anderson, who was hitting like 99-100 with his fastball tonight. Trevor Richard is pretty good. Yes, they gave up Jesus Sanchez, who's a pretty good prospect to the Marlins. Uh, Ryan Stanek. Um, but other than that, they gave up Jacob Faria and two players to be named later, later for that team. And, and they've gotten a lot stronger. I think they... They are a lot better than they were prior to the deadline, and I, I think they're going to challenge the Yankees. And, and I could see them definitely catching it, to your point, Terry. Uh, I could see them catching the Yankees, and the Yankees not even making the playoffs. I, and, and to Jeremy's point, 
even if they do make the playoffs, I think they're the most flawed team in the playoffs. Yes, they can hit a ton of home runs, but like we saw last year, they strike out a ton too. Even when everything's clicking, a good pitching staff, and, and Cleveland has that, and Houston has that, and if, if the Rays get uh, Snell back and they get uh, Glass now back and they get some of these guys back, uh, and, and pair them with Charlie Morton and some of these guys, they have a top three that the Yankees can't compete with. Um, all of a sudden, the Yankees just don't look at all like contenders in, in the American League. So uh, I think not going after these guys, while I get some of it, like I said, the, the, the whole Bauer and, and um, Garrett Cole scenario, I get some of that. They didn't want to give up. They didn't. They didn't value Strowman as much as some of the other places or uh, some of the other people did. I get some of that, but, but I don't. You know, I, I think they probably should have made some sort of run this year, and they definitely did not do that. And I, I think they're probably the fourth or fifth best team. At, and even to Jeremy's point, if Boston had made a couple moves and they they bolstered the bullpen, they've got that amazing offense and. If anybody clicks in that that rotation and and they somehow make it into the playoffs, they're a dangerous team that nobody wants to face. But I think that's out of the realm of possibility at this point. So I can see the Yankees falling out, and I can see all these other teams going in, and and it being a really interesting AL uh, AL championship. Yeah, I mean, I I would have liked to have seen the Rays, you know, do a little bit more to their rotation, not having Snell for possibly the rest of the year, and not sure what Glassnow's status is. I think he had a setback recently, um, and uh, Trevor Richard, you know, is pitching to about a four and a half ERA the last couple of seasons, so. They are seven games back, like you said, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know... Uh, who knows really they're gonna probably have to get creative you know at least a couple of times through their rotation with openers and whatnot um so uh i did check on severino not throwing off a mound yet so that tells me at least a month away there uh uh giancarlo stanton like you said no baseball activities might i don't know if he'll even be back this year it's tough to tell and then um catcher there Gary Sanchez uh he's probably going to return within the next couple of weeks but no set time he is eligible Saturday but they've already said it won't be that quick uh so the Yankees have tons of issues there and uh they ran into a lot of problems with the uh starting pitching market uh Madison Bumgarner was not available to anyone despite all the reports on the day of, uh, you know, the, the deadline, he wasn't going anywhere. Robbie Ray, the price for him uh, from the Diamondbacks, who's controllable through next year, has a 3.91 uh, ERA, has had a sub-4 ERA, even a 293 in uh, 2017. Um, he... The asking price for him was Clint Frazier plus four more prospects. So the Yankees got out of that race pretty quick. They clearly were not going to match the haul that the Indians got uh, for Bauer, you know, with, uh, you know, Puig, Reyes, and then the three other prospects. So weren't getting Bauer. And then 
I did see a report tonight that after Stroman went to the Mets, the Mets did offer uh, Stroman to the Yankees for their number one, you know, offensive prospect, outfielder, uh, Floreal, and their number one pitching prospect, Davey Garcia, which that's a pretty lofty asking price for, you know, a year and a half of, you know, maybe a, a slightly better than mediocre pitcher, you know, a number two or number three like Stroman. So um, they just, they weren't willing to overpay. And I think it's going to cost them a shot at a World Series this year. Totally agree. And I also don't think Stroman in and of himself gets them over the top. So probably not. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike Miner uh, wasn't going anywhere. He had a no trade. So had they got the two of them and then maybe Paxton or Tanaka got it together. But it's still a long shot. And it's not it's not Verlander, Cole, and Grinky. So probably still, a, you know, bounced out of the ALCS, you know, at best. Yeah. I mean, I think at, that's a best case scenario. I don't think they have the pitching to win in a short series, let alone a long series. So um, I disagree with Matt as far as th- that they're in jeopardy of losing the division. I don't think – I'm sorry, there's just too much offense and the bullpen has way too much talent for them to blow a seven-game lead to the Devil Rays. Now, um, that just doesn't change anything as far as how I feel about them as a playoff team, but the East is over. I mean, that that's my mindset, so – Anyways. And I also think the East has probably the, the least talent of any division in the AL right now. Um, just because of the starting pitching in the in the Central and the West. I just, again, I, I think that, and, and you're probably right, Jeremy. I, I don't think that Snell's coming back before the end of the year. Had they had Snell and Glass now both healthy, then I, I think they could definitely catch the Yankees. But there's no guarantee on that. So it's real tough. I think the Yankees have more depth and, and more offense. So it's going to be very difficult. So I don't disagree with you that on that uh, point. Uh, well, I mean uh, – or go ahead, Jeremy. Nope, go ahead, Terrence. Well, I was actually going to transition us into the uh, preview, but so if you do have a final thought. Nope, I was going to do the same thing. <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, I was going to do it better than you, but I was going to do <laughs> the same thing. You probably were. So <laughs> we uh, starting tomorrow, we have another four-game set against the Yankees. I'm pulling up the uh, – why, why don't you go ahead with it, Jeremy, because uh, you probably have the matchups up. Sure. So we got Erod tomorrow at 7.05 against James Paxton. Um, So just my brief comments here. I think you're favored tomorrow. Uh, Here's where the rest of it goes to hell in a handbasket, starting with the fact that anyone but Erod's pitching. Saturday at 1 o'clock, we haven't even named a starter, uh, but it's Domingo Herman again, who did a decent job on Sunday night against the Sox. uh, Three runs in five and a third innings mind you this series is going to be in new york um so that's a significant 
that's an important fact. Um, that Saturday, that Herman starts a one o'clock start because they're making up the rain out from a month ago. Um, they're playing at seven as well. Neither team has made a uh, decision on their starter. So, besides well, Herman, Saturday's a crapshoot unless Terry's about to throw some more information at me, which I'm not yeah, quite ready for yet. Because okay, on Sunday, it's David Price versus J.A. Happ. Uh, so I'm sure Sale is going to pitch one of these Saturday games. Is that what you're about to tell me, Terrence? And Brian Johnson. So it'll be a combination of Sale and Johnson. I, and I know where you're excited about Johnson. I mean, he did have that uh, two hitter like two years ago. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I mean, complete game. Look, th- th- yeah, no, complete game. Yeah, yeah, no, no question about it. They they picked him up like he won a fucking World Series. Um, so look, so so with Terrence's background, uh, let's go through these games quickly one one at a time. Um, I've already chimed in on game one. I think Erod's good enough, and but based on the fact that the Red Sox just have to win this game after getting swept by the Double Rays, I like Erod over Paxton in game one. Do you guys have any thoughts on the game? I'm going to agree awkwardly, Matt. I also agree. I think that Erod wins this. Uh, I don't know. We're going to go back to the uh, wildly inconsistent, and all of a sudden, I think after the series, all of us are going to be like, well, maybe the Red Sox have a chance again. Uh, they're going to tease us all year like this. But, yeah, I think they win game one. And it yeah, starts so. out pretty well. Anyways, I stopped listening after both Terrence and Matt said they agree with me. <laughs> uh, moving on to game two, um, Terry, what do you think? Is this going to be BJ or Sale at at the uh, 105 start? Well, Sale did square off against uh, Herman in his last start, so I, I don't know. Um, I almost so I agree with you. I agree with you for what for two reasons. One, I do think Sale wants to beat Herman. And two, if Sale can go out and be Sale, I think it takes the pressure off BJ and the bullpen on Saturday on Saturday night. So with that backdrop, let's assume it's Sale versus Herman, guys. Who do you got? Herman. <laughs> I just think the Yankees are gonna win. I I don't think it's just a matter of Chris Sale figuring it out and I don't think he's gonna. So I think he's going to I have Sale winning this one against Herman. I don't think they're gonna go back to back. I don't think Herman was that great in the last one. I think he got a little bit lucky. Uh I think Sale figures it out. I, I just I feel at some point he's going to go on a run. I still have that feeling, and maybe it starts with this one. Yeah, um, I think that feeling may be based on drug use, Matt. Um, (laughs) There's absolutely no suggestion that Sale is about to go on a run, in my opinion, respectfully. Here's what my head says. There's no way Sale lets Herman beat him twice. Um, Or I'm sorry, that's what my heart says. My head says that... Now that this game's in Yankee Stadium, Sale is what he is, and I think they lose this game seven to five. Um, I don't, I don't envision a pitcher's duel. I think they're going to get to Herman too, but to me, they're going to lose this game seven to five, or you know, some assimilation thereof. But at the end of the day, I just, I, I think Sale, for whatever reason, it just hasn't been good in these big moments, and 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 with this. 
that game be this whole series is huge by the way because if you get swept you're done you're 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 saying to yourself we should have been sellers a week ago so but i do think sale loses a start well go go ahead matt you know and because you you feel yeah again i think sale wins that one uh i think the other tbd versus tbd is going to be brian johnson versus chance adams and i think brian Brian Johnson wins that one. Uh, I've got to be honest with you. Um, I don't know who else they bring up, but uh, that's just my prediction. Throw it out there. I don't know who, if you guys think there may be another one, but for whatever reason, I just have the Red Sox win in this one. So to me, it depends a lot on game one. If you get seven innings at a sale, then I think you open up options with the bullpen and you increase the likelihood of potentially winning Saturday night. Um, as it were, and what I'm expecting is six innings from sale, high leverage late inning situations from the bullpen, and then you're rolling into Saturday with uh, a problem, a big-time problem, with the pressure on BJ to somehow give you more than I think he can. So um, I have this as a, as a, you know, a loss. I I mean it's impossible to predict a TBA versus TBA, you know, Johnson versus whoever. Um I just I don't know. It's, if we drop the first two games, there's no way we win game 3. I I would say he, Matt, what what Terry is doing is he's posturing cuz he's about to agree with me. <laughs> I just I I have Game one is a win if a gun is to my head, and the next three as losses. You know we haven't got to David Price yet, but Hap is pitched equally as well, bad. Well, yeah, I mean let's get to it. It's, it's David Price on Sunday night at seven o'clock again on ESPN. Uh, he's seven and four with a three point eight six ERA versus J A Hap, who's eight and six, so similar record, different ERA, five point one nine. Uh, this is going to be a game at Yankee Stadium. To me, this has the uh, potential likelihood of literally determining uh, the Red Sox season. Because I, I do think that a sweep is potentially on, on the table if Erod does not win tomorrow night. So anyways, your guys' thoughts here on David Price and Jay Hep. I actually think that David Price wins. I'm predicting a sweep. I think the Red Sox are going to completely mind hump us, and Sunday night we're going to be sitting here going, well, are the Red Sox for real or not? Because that's pretty much how the Red Sox are, like I said earlier. Uh, the one thing they've been consistent at all year is being inconsistent. It defies reality that they'll sweep it, but for whatever reason they'll somehow do it, and we'll all be sitting here going, well, maybe if, and then whoever they play next will probably demolish them. And we'll be sitting here going, they're a dumpster fire and they're trash and the season's over. They are. They're, they're it's, it's, yeah, they're, they're literally going to be like porno starters on our mind. We're going to, we're going to be like trying to figure out what they did to us. And, and, and it's going to be sad. And I, I don't even know, but I'm predicting this week. I, I just feel like the, the, matchups are in favor of the Red Sox. I feel like the Red Sox offense is going to be there. Uh, even coming out of a trash year or a trash series where we just got swept, I just feel like for whatever reason, it matches up well for the Red Sox. And 
I don't know. Everybody will probably make fun of me, and afterwards we'll probably get swept because I said that, and the, the Red Sox have nothing, and they've quit. But I don't know. For whatever reason, I feel like they're going to win every one of these games. I just feel like David Price has to basically, you know, be in a, a good rhythm, you know, coming into a start like that. And I think where the whole team is down and, you know, getting eviscerated by everyone, whether it's fans on social media, whether it's WEI in the sports hub, I just feel like I, I – the Yankees are, are playing like shit. Oh, I swore. Uh, the Yankees are playing like crap, but um, I just I think the Red Sox are playing worse, and I'm sticking with my losing three out of four. I, you know, that's my story. I agree with Terrence and Matt. I will be texting you a friendly. Wager off air. <laughs> yeah. You should know that if you've agreed this much with Terry tonight, that something's going to go wrong. So you might want to read. Nope. Feel pretty confident. <laughs> I mean, dude, look, I look, I, I'm. I think you've been a great addition to the podcast, obviously, and you're 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 funny on Twitter and you're funny privately in text messages. Um, and I think the podcast is is in a good spot all around respectfully okay with all due respect which means i can say whatever i want moving forward you are out of your fucking mind swear jar you are out of your fucking mind if you think this is a sweep to the yankees you're equally out of your fucking mind if you think it's three out of four i'm uh three out of four to the red sox there's literally no nothing but your heartstrings that would suggest that's going to be the result I mean, so zero. And my heart says otherwise. I feel like this team is trash. I, that's why I think they'll do it. it it's just going to It's gonna completely, like I said, uh, I'm not thrown into the mind jar or into the uh, swear jar. They're going to mind hump me hardcore, and, and they're going to win all these. And I'm going to be like, where, where do I stand on these? I don't know how to handle this team right now. Because right. That's here's, how, uh, here's, the, here's the proposition. I'll just do it on the air. Let's do it on the air. I'll get. Let's put a hundred bucks on it. I have the. I have the the uh, the um, series at 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 two to two or less for the Red Sox. You want to you want to take them to win three out of four? I'll bet you a hundred bucks on it. Oof! Oh, man, that's tough. Hold on, hold on. I'll make. I'll sweeten the pot for you. I'll sweeten the pot for you. You put up fifty. I'll put up a hundred. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Good, deal. Honest. We have a deal, Terrence, and and people still listening as the witnesses. We have a deal. That, that sounds like a deal. <laughs> All right, we got a bet. Terry, we got a That's bet. Kids' bikes. <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, my kids could use some clothes. My my son's going into kindergarten in ten days, so we could, <laughs> could use a little influx of cash. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send my 15 year old out to do some yard work. He's gonna have to make some money. Here. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Anyways, all right. So we got a little fun bet on the way. But uh, uh, Terry, you got anything else here before we wrap? Well, I'll just I'll just tell Matt that I have a hundred dollars on the Twins. Not feeling so good about that with Jeremy. And then it's probably gonna be a push because the Red Sox aren't gonna make the playoffs. 
we have a hundred dollar bet on uh, those. If the Sox get into the wild card, I owe him a hundred. So, I Terry, think- Terry, by the end of the series, I may be asking you out on that bet for fifty bucks. So just heads <laughs> up on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt. I learned quickly that I offer many bets. So, uh, anyways, when you're when you're predicting what you've predicted, we're gonna put some money on it. And I'm glad we have it. Should make it a fun series. Okay. Yeah, should should. There's got to be something because we don't have much to uh, we don't have much to look forward to this year. I have an honest, uh, honestly, that's that's how I feel. Oh, uh, this team, I think, is quit a little bit. I think the fan base is gonna get a little ugly on them. All right, guys, we're going to wrap on that note, and we'll be back Sunday to see who owes who how much. So have a good night. Take care, guys. All right, that was a long – we've been kind of long on a lot of these lately, but I guess that's how it goes when you're, you know, near the trade deadline. So, uh, yeah, so we will – uh, be back Sunday night to recap the Yankee series. I have no clue who we're playing after that and probably won't check that until uh, tomorrow. So everybody uh, enjoy uh, your last day of work, hopefully, unless you work Saturdays like me, but the weekend is here. The weather is still hot and um Still got half the summer to go, so enjoy it. Take care. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and then he makes the catch, he did it! He got it! Here we go. Time to party. Right here. 3-2. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman.